Welcome to Truth to Power on Forward Radio. This is Hart Hagen, and I'm here with two guests that I will introduce in just a minute, but we're going to talk about ranked choice voting. So what I'm going to talk about with my two distinguished guests is we're going to talk about, you know, what is ranked choice voting? How does ranked choice voting work? What are the benefits of ranked choice voting? Uh, do we have a two-party monopoly or two-party duopoly? Is it really a monopoly? Does do the two parties, do the two major parties give us meaningful choice? Will ranked choice voting engage a greater number of eligible voters? Why or why not? Uh, should we, would it eliminate vote splitting and spoiled elections? Uh, and there's this thing about requiring the, that the candidates win a majority of votes. Um, are we going, it, would ranked choice voting promote civility in campaigning and would it disincentivize negative campaigning and would it give non-establishment candidates a substantial chance of winning, you know, non-establishment candidates, whether they're third party or anti-establishment Republicans or Democrats, uh, would it in theory create political parity for females and minorities and would it eliminate the issue of elect? Electability. It's like we talk about electability. Would it, would it eliminate that issue? Would the voters, in fact, decide who is electable instead of the media and pundits, et cetera? And so we're going to talk about also talk about where has ranked choice voting been used and what does ranked choice voting have to do with pizza toppings? So uh, and, and, and so my guests are Jeff Young, who is candidate for U.S. Congress, 6th District in 2022, 6th District of Kentucky in 2022. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing fine, thanks. Great. And we have Ken Carpenter, who is the director of Rank the Vote Kentucky. Ken, how are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. Thanks for asking, Hart. So where should we start this? Could we talk about just, you know, to the uninitiated, just what is ranked choice voting? Yeah, sure. I, I can take that one, Jeff. Ranked choice voting is just a simple upgrade to the way that we vote. What it does is it allows voters to rank candidates in order of their preference of those candidates. So that's, uh, it, it's not much different than how we vote. To, there's really no change to how we vote today. So you still... In terms of who and when you vote is the same. But when you go to the ballot box, it's just a simple uh, improvement to how the ballot is structured that allows you to rank candidates, your first choice, your second choice, third choice, and so on. And uh, what that does is it gives you, a voter, a greater level of expression in terms of uh, who, you, who you think you align with in, in and the, can the list of candidates that are presented to you. Right. So it gives you, I've heard uh, Jill, Stein, Jill Stein was my favorite candidate in 2016. Uh, and she would say that it gives you the chance to vote for who you're for, who and what you're for, instead of voting out of fear <laughs> of what you're against. Is that accurate? So how does that work? I mean, is that true? Well, so... Um, what we have today is often referred to as plurality voting or first past the post. So um, it's particularly when there's more than two candidates running for a single office, what happens is uh, the votes kind of get split up and no one ends up getting more than 50% of the vote. And, and so what that means is the person who won the election, it means that they got less than 50% of the vote and more people voted against that candidate than for that candidate. And, and in a country where you know, democratic under democratic rule or, or, or even a representative democracy, um, majority rule is a fundamental principle of, of our elections. So when a candidate can win an election with less than 50% of the vote, that's not a majority. Right. So Jeff, do you agree that ranked choice voting would give us the chance to vote for what we're for instead of out of fear of what we're against? 
advanced? I think so. And I'll give an example from the 2018, no, let's take the, the 2020 um, election for U.S. House in Kentucky 6th District. Um, there were three candidates on the ballot. There was the incumbent, Andy Barr, Republican. There was a Democrat, um, Josh Hicks, and a Libertarian, Frank Harris. And um, uh, so people could have voted, uh, uh, for example, uh, and you know, Barr was, was quite unpopular uh, among many people, but even some in his own party. But uh, so, so if there had been ranked choice voting, we could have had a lot of liberals uh, uh, voting for, um, let's say the Democrat first choice, the Libertarian second, and uh, Republican would be their third choice, or, or you know, just not on the not checked off at all. You can leave options blank on your ballot if if, if your attitude is well, never that guy. Uh, you don't even have to vote for. You don't have to give him any of your choices. So you could have you could have the Libertarian first, uh, the Democrat second, and nobody for third. And if, if enough people had done that, uh, it's possible that um, in the first round, uh, the incumbent Republican might have been knocked off by getting the fewest number of first choices. Uh, you could have had, uh, you know, 40% for the Democrat, um, 40 per 35% for the libertarian. And uh, what does that leave? 25% uh, for the Republican. That could have affected the election. So you're saying that we have a system where if the majority, where the majority of people vote against a candidate, they can still win. That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem no, like- No, that's, that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that uh, people's real choice was anybody but the Republican. Mm -hmm. oh, right, <laughs> and, exactly. Uh, there is, they would have been happy with either the Libertarian or the Democrat. What and happens so, when you, sorry, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Sorry, go uh, ahead. So the, really that's more democratic than one where um, the Libertarian gets knocked out automatically because uh, you might not be anybody's first choice or, or, or no, that's not how, um, it's very likely that everybody would be afraid to vote third party. There'd be a fear factor there. I'm not going to waste my vote uh, by voting for the libertarian, even though I like him the best. That, that's what I was going to say is, is really, I think what you're trying to get at heart is that uh, what happens when a candidate doesn't have to win the majority of votes is they speak to their base. Um, they're not looking to get the majority of votes. They're looking to just get the most votes of any of the candidates. And it, it sounds like a subtle difference, but it's, it, it's a huge difference. And when voters are voting strategically, when they're, it becomes more about voting against the person they don't want to, uh, don't want to win rather than voting for the candidate they really want to win. So uh, you had mentioned electability that we always talk about, oh, who, who do we think really stands a chance against the person that I want to lose, right? Right. Um, 
So that that strategic voting means that we're not voting for who we truly right. believe in, who has the best platform that aligns with our personal values and beliefs. It's who uh, stands a better chance to win against the opponent we want to lose. Mm-hmm. And, and it yep. really creates yep. sort of a negative perspective of our elections. Mm-hmm. And if 90% of all voters are really voting against the one they fear the most, then uh, ranked choice voting could make a big difference. So, so ranked choice voting allows you to vote your conscience without yeah. fear of wasting your vote. So you can vote your first choice who is, you know, the person, even if you think this person is not very popular, you can vote your conscience. And then uh, if that person just does terribly and, and they get eliminated in the first round of tallying the votes, then your vote goes to your second choice. And so your second choice could be that, you know, the person you would normally would have voted for strategically under mm-hmm. plurality voting. Right. So I, I took the liberty to write up a little algorithm of how this works as I understand it and see if this, uh, see if this resonates and see if this is accurate. So here's the algorithm. Number one, hold an election. Okay. Hold an election. Except in this case, instead of voting for just one person, you're going to vote for at least three. You, you could have like three or four, depending on what the rules are, but you, you vote for at least three people and you rank your choices, number one, number two, and number three. So uh, the next thing you do is you count the votes for the first choice. You, you, so, and if anyone gets the majority out of all those first choice votes, if anyone gets the majority, game over. We have a winner. If not, if nobody gets a majority out of those first choice votes, then we have a problem because nobody's got the majority. But instead of taking the candidate that is the got the most votes, and instead of taking the candidate that most people voted against, we're going to do play a little trick here. We're going to go to the second choice. So out of the take all the candidates that I take all the first choice votes, whoever finished last, you take them and you say, who did they vote? For? Who was their second choice? So you take those second choice votes and you distribute them to everybody else. Mm-hmm. If anybody has a majority, we have a winner. Otherwise, you take the second to last of the first choice votes and you distribute those. If anybody has a majority, we get a winner. And you keep doing that until you actually have a majority. So you don't have to worry about your vote being wasted. Is that how it works? That that sounds accurate. Uh, The one thing that I would absolutely want to point out is it's still one person, one vote. So... um, I don't want to, I don't want people to be confused and think that, oh, I'm voting for multiple candidates, meaning I get multiple votes. No, your, your vote only counts once. Mm-hmm. It's just if there, no one win, no one gets a majority in the first round of tallying, then your votes transferred to your second choice. Okay. So your, your vote still only counts once. It's just who your vote counts for mm-hmm. changes as you go through the rounds of, of voting, of, of counting, of tallying the votes. So if anybody's familiar with runoff voting, it's essentially the same thing. Um, for example, Georgia had runoff elections, uh, runoff election in 2020. And uh, the, the difference there is whenever a candidate, whenever a candidate doesn't get the majority of votes, they do a runoff. Uh, I think they narrow it down to the top two candidates, but then they have to hold a, a completely new election again, right? Everyone has to go back to the polls 
And the first problem with that is it's costly just to, just to hold uh, and uh, administer an election is expensive. And the second problem is voter turnout um, is substantially lower in the second and the subsequent rounds of run, uh, runoff voting. So uh, with ranked choice voting, you, you, some people call it instant runoff voting because mm -hmm. essentially because you've ranked candidates in the order of your preference, we already know who your, your second choice would have been if your first choice gets eliminated. So some people call it rank, uh, instant runoff voting because they're essentially the same thing. It's just you don't have to go back to the polls for the, for the subsequent rounds. That, that makes sense because I was thinking, oh, you're going to have more than 100% of the votes. But really, if you're like the last person on, on the first choice, if your candidate comes in last, your vote, vote changes to your second choice. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Correct. Norm yeah. Normally, yeah. your vote would just be thrown in the trash. But in ranked yeah. choice voting, you, you essentially have an, a second chance and your vote, your vote counts as much as anyone else's. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and so, again, going back to the strategic voting, if you, if you know your second or third choice is going to be counted if your first one is eliminated, then you don't have to fear about wasting your vote. You can say, okay, this is, this is the person who I align with the most. Um, normally they don't stand a chance. Maybe they're a third party candidate or, or, uh, anti-establishment Republican or Democrat. They, you can at least vote your conscience and, and not fear that your, your vote is wasted. Well, what's wrong with voting on the basis of fear? <laughs> <laughs> you end up with uh, someone who's really bad, but not quite as bad as the one you feared. <laughs> Well, I mean, the lesser of two evils is good, right? <laughs> it, leads, it leads to a constantly declining quality of uh, representative. Yeah, so I, I tell progressives all the time, you don't have to be, okay, so you don't have to be progressive in order to be in favor of ranked choice voting, right? We have libertarians, yeah. et cetera. Is anybody opposed to ranked choice voting? Like, who's opposed to this? Incumbents. Incumbents. Establishment politicians, Nancy Pelosi, people like that are, are completely opposed to it because they've done so well with the uh, winner-take-all system. I, I think and they have the, all the money. Well, shouldn't our country revolve around what Nancy Pelosi likes? <laughs> <laughs> and, and what the billionaire donors like, yeah. Right. I mean, we're, we're, we're here to make billionaires happy, right? Isn't that what we do? That's the purpose of politics in America. Well, I, I think the other, the other factor we have to, we're facing right now is just ranked choice voting has been around for a while. And despite its maturity, uh, very few people know what it is. And no matter what you call it, whether you call it instant runoff voting, ranked choice voting, preferential voting, uh, not many people understand or have even heard of it before. And so when you, if you were to put this on the ballot and say, okay, voters vote on whether we use ranked choice voting going forward, I think the most, the majority of people would vote against it because they've never heard of it. What is this? I'm afraid of it. I don't understand it. Uh, why would, why do we want to change how we vote today? And so I think that's largely the biggest obstacle we face is just opening people's eyes to hey, we can change how we vote. That is, that is available to us. That is something we can do. And we can improve the way that we vote so that we have better election outcomes, 
that uh, we can have greater level of voter expression and we can have more people on the ballot, more options for voters to choose from. Well, Ken, how did you get into this? Tell me a little bit about your story. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I had known about ranked choice voting for, for nearly a decade. I always thought it was a good idea. To me, it just made sense, right? Your candidate has to win the majority of votes. Um, but I, I didn't think much of it. I wasn't really actively involved in politics. Um, I wasn't an activist, but it was something I knew about. And then fast forward, uh, maybe 10 years from then, <laughs> I had heard of it on and off, but um, I moved to, to, to Louisville and we're here in the third district. And I met John Hicks, who is the libertarian candidate, uh, who was the libertarian candidate in the 2019 gubernatorial election. And um, I, I really like John. He and I really clicked. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't say I necessarily identify as a libertarian. Um, but one of the, the core tenets of his, his platform was ranked choice voting. Um, and so bringing that up again got me thinking about, oh, this is something that he's campaigning on. Maybe people are interested in it. And I, I started looking into it and I, I realized that there are a number of states that are now using it. There's a number, uh, a large number of cities that are using it. We use it in uh, some states use it for military voting because they're overseas. So if they have runoff voting, they can't, they can't go to the polls multiple mm -hmm. times. Um, so there's already this movement and there's a no large number of states and organizations who are trying to get this implemented in their own communities. And so uh, it was back in January of this year, uh, unbeknownst to me, John and a number of other individuals, Jeff, I'm not sure if you were involved in that group, the original group, but uh, a number of individuals got in touch with a national organization called Rank the Vote. Um, so their website is rankthevote.us. And what their goal is, is to help state level organizations, uh, help found state level organizations so that they can promote ranked choice voting in their own states and communities. And so they helped us found Rank the Vote Kentucky. Uh, we kind of stole their name from them. Um, and this was founded just, just this year, back in January during COVID restrictions. Uh, it was all done through Zoom meetings. Um, and I found myself at that initial launch meeting, uh, not sure how, how involved I was going to get, uh, but I, I found myself sitting in front of the uh, national leader, Adam Friedman, and uh, we, we were in like a breakout room and it was just me and him. And he asked me how many hours a week I could commit to, to volunteering. And I, I don't know, I think I threw out like maybe five hours. And he said, yep, you're, you're it, <laughs> you're, you're in charge. And the rest is history. So uh, I kind of got voluntold, but, but what I realized um, is, you know, if, if I don't do it and the other folks who showed up don't do it, no one's going to do it for Kentucky, right? Mm -hmm. No one's going to take up the torch unless you kind of, even if you, you stumble and fall a lot, uh, you know, somebody's got to do it and show people the way a little bit so that they, they can take charge in their own communities. So that's really what we're trying to do with Rank the Vote Kentucky. That's really our goal right now in, in the immediate future is, is just the educational aspect. Uh, Where would you like to be a year from now? Uh, on a beach. In, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a year from now, I would really like to see us, our, our reach expand. So right now we have a few volunteers here in Louisville. We have a few in Lexington. We have a few in Danville. We're, we're really spread out and it's just a few of us. And what I would really like to see is where we're able to form almost local chapters 
who are advocating within their own communities, who are self-sustaining. They have their own uh, leader or director for that community. And um, be because really, I think, you know, our organization is nonpartisan, right? We, ranked choice voting doesn't care who your candidate is. It isn't about improving the chances for any one party or candidate to win. It, it, it's, it's unbiased. In, We're the new right. League of Women Voters. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, tailoring the messaging to your community and the people around you and, and, and helping them understand in the context that in which they live uh, is important. So that's really where I'd like to see us in a year is where people are able to communicate to their own communities why ranked choice voting is an important uh, tweak to the way that we vote. So can this be implemented at the community level? Oh, I would uh, say absolutely so. can. Yeah. Jeff? I can think that, uh, well, Lexington, Fayette County has city council elections, but let's say eight of them or nine of them are from different parts of Fayette County. But um, three of them, is it three? The three of them are at large and uh, they, they have to run at large. And so let's assume, so, and, and there's a, it's a two-phase thing. In the May or June primary, you cut the field down from, let's say, 15 who start out. You cut it down to six in, in the primary. And then um, five or six months later in November, there's another vote among the six uh, and you cut it down to the top three. And then the top vote getter becomes vice mayor. So it seems to me ranked choice voting in, and it's nonpartisan. Ranked choice voting for city council elections in Fayette County is a natural fit. Uh, it just would fit perfectly because you've got these 15 starting out and you, uh, you know, it, it could even all be done at once. But I think, I think what would probably happen in, in uh, Fayette County is that there would, it would remain a two stage process, uh, May and November. And you, you'd cut it down from say 15 or N to six in, in May and cut it down to three in in November. Where are some of the places where ranked choice voting has been implemented? So uh, Maine and Alaska are, are the two ones that are uh, at the state level. So statewide um, implementation. Um, uh, there's a there's a number there's a long num long list of cities that are now using ranked choice voting. Um, one that's most prominent, I think, is New York City is now switching to ranked choice voting. So that's mm -hmm. been in the news a little bit recently. Um, I know. Austin also just enacted it. And so they're, they're working to figure out how to implement it as well. And as Austin goes, so goes the country. <laughs> we'll see about that, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what, what, are, uh, what are some of the types of people who are attracted to this movement? Would you call it a movement? And are there certain types of people that are in favor of ranked choice voting? And who are some of the more interesting people that you've met as part of this? Well, I want to just generalize and say people who are really sick of politics as usual. I would say they're a natural. Uh, I'm ill, so I, I can join. If, if, if politics <laughs> makes me ill, I can join. Is that okay? You, you, you'll really have a, a strong motivation to uh, to join this movement. Yeah, because uh, politics as usual 
Well, most people don't like it. And so there's a big natural base. You mean I, think... I have a choice? It's like America <laughs> where you have 400 choices of cereals and two political parties. You Always know? two. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 you would think we'd have the same level of competition in our elections as we do uh, on the cereal aisle. That's a good, yeah. that's a yeah. good example. Right. Well, it is, it's, it's more like the competition that you have on a sports field where there's a winner and a loser and you pick a team and you root for the team and, and you hate the other team. And uh, there's only, you know, anyway, it, 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 it amazes me how, um, so there was this uh, issue where like, Nancy Pelosi is buying Apple stock or buying Tesla stock because uh, how did that work? Well, because she has the power to, you know, there's all this insider trading that goes in in Congress. And when I criticized Nancy Pelosi on, on Facebook, there's this diehard Democrat who, who that they, they came at me because, well, the Trump administration was worse, you know, that kind of, as if, uh, so, you know, can, can we not automatically to default to the mode of the other side is worse? Yeah, lesser yeah. of two evils. The, so, there's right. a there's a level of tribalism there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so ranked choice voting could give you a choice of good, better, uh, and. Uh, no way. <laughs> right. We, we can't possibly have a choice between good and better. I mean, that's just un-American. Well, that, that's the, that's what's the, the thing, world like... coming to? We have a choice between good and better. There, it, it, ranked choice voting introduces nuance that I think... Can't have nuance. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, <laughs> everything exactly. Has to be, everything has white. to be black and white. Yeah. You are good or bad. You know, you are evil or not. Those are your choices. You can you can have your Model T in any color as long as it's black. <laughs> right. I'm yeah. sorry, I interrupted Ken. Uh, well, I wanted to get back to your original question: is like who would be drawn to this movement? Or uh, and I do I do consider it a movement, um, not in the sense that you know I think some people are turned perhaps turned off by that word, but it is indeed a growing national interest, which is indeed a movement. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the folks who, who are intrigued by this and, and turned on by ranked choice voting, uh, there's, no, there's no political leaning. It's just, as, as Jeff was saying, it's folks who are perhaps a little fed up with the way things are, um, the tribalism that exists, the stagnancy that exists in our government. But I think for, at least for me, maybe this is just anecdotal, but for me, like, I wanted to get involved. I wanted to, to be able to participate in local affairs and improve my surrounding community. Yet I was feeling paradoxically less, less and less able to do so. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know how to go about doing it. And for me, ranked choice voting is a step towards improving civic engagement. If you have more positive campaigning, people are, are, are interested in that. They, they don't you know, people are t sick and tired of the toxic divisiveness that we have, um, the polarization that's increasing in our nation. I think ranked choice voting has the ability to kind of turn that around. I'm not saying it's a cure-all, but I think it's a great first step to improving engagement. In well, the, if it's not going to solve process. all of our problems all at once, then we need to go home. Yeah, th there's no sil silver bullet for any <laughs> right. of this, right? Okay. 
But well, I think those are the folks who are thing. interested. Here's a, kind of an observation. There, there are some people that don't have a political home. Like if you take, uh, like, like, let's take the state of West Virginia. It would not, if you're in West Virginia or maybe rural Kentucky, it wouldn't be unusual for you to be kind of socially conservative, but yet you're open to Medicare for all and a $15 minimum wage. And what's the other thing that you a universal basic income and stronger unions and reducing the defense, but you might be open to any or all of those things. But if, if you're socially conservative, you don't have a home because the Republicans, you're not a home with Republicans because those things are not strictly Republican. You don't have a home with Democrats because you're socially conservative. So you really just, you know, they're anyway, am I on the right track with that? Yeah, I don't know uh, exactly how it, you know the examples, but I think you're you're very much on the right track. I've I've heard so many people say, uh, "I didn't leave the Republican Party. I didn't they leave left the Democrats. They left me. They, right. you know, you've got the whole society uh, um, more liberal than any politician." Well, if, if anybody thinks Republicans are conservative, we need to talk. And if anybody what? thinks Democrats are liberal, we need to talk. Yeah, well, I'm just point. saying. Good I'm point. just saying. <laughs> well, it, it, it's, it goes to, again, like it's more about strategic voting. So you're not voting for the candidate that aligns, that aligns with your true principles and values. Um, you're, you're simply playing the, the identity game, right? Like I'm voting against my opponent. And the best way for my opponent to lose is to vote for the candidate who has the, the most electability, so to speak, uh, and has the best chance of winning against mm -hmm. my opponent. And electability is defined by the media. Matt right. Tavey talks about that. He's covered a number of uh, presidential elections, but, you know, oh, Joe Biden is more electable than Bernie Sanders or... Um, who would you like to have a beer with? So that turned out to be George W. Bush. You know, who would you like to have a beer with? So the media starts talking about these things. They're inane, but that becomes the issue. And because people have so little con actual control, um, then it's like, well, what the heck? I'll either vote for who I'd like to have a beer with or I'll stay home. I'm not sure. Well, I'm not going to be 100% sure until election day whether I'm even going to vote because these people, neither one of them, are making a difference in my life. Or maybe I'm just being too harsh. Well, no, I think, I think you're right. I think the media, mass media, have a tremendous impact on elections to the point where I'd say we don't have free elections because the media has so much control. And their tendency, in a primary, their tendency is to bring it down to one candidate as fast as they can. Mm. In a general election, they always try to bring it down to two candidates as fast as they can. Well, why are they trying and they to look bring at it down money. to one? They look why? at how much yeah. money they've raised. Mm -hmm. It seems that's the most effective, the most important uh, uh, characteristic that they focus on, and that relates back to electability. If you don't have money, you're not electable. And so the, the media, from the very beginning of the process, tries to get it narrowed down to the richest Democrat and the richest Republican, forget everybody else, 
Forget third parties. But if they're rich, that means they're successful. If they're successful, that <laughs> means they're good. They, that means they're skilled. If you have money, that means you're skilled. They're still skilled at raising money. Right. Or they've got a lot of rich friends. Anyway, that's not what elections are supposed to be about. And the media comes in and makes it all about money one in the primary and two candidates in the general. And then all elections are that way. And, and What's wrong I think with that? It, it, turns, it turns the vast majority of citizens off from the whole process. And What's that, wrong that with explains letting money a run lot the of the alienation, a lot of the uh, distaste people feel for politics. What if I say, oh, you know, money should run the show? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's really fine, but you're not talking about a democracy. You're not talking about a republic. What's wrong with that? <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. Some people are, some people, you, I mean, you get to talking to people and some people don't even want democracy. Uh -huh. It's a, maybe a minority, but. You know, it, it, or they're okay with democracy as long as elections go their way, you know? Right, right. Uh, yeah, a lot of people want to be the dictator as long as they're the dictator. But, <laughs> but it means, what does it mean? It means that most of the people are not happy with who's running things and the way things are run. They, they, you know, that particular group uh, uh, manage to trick enough people to win, and maybe next time, four years from now, we'll have we'll be able to do the same. But it's never going to actually express the will of the people. Jeff, it's not who. It's not whether your party wins. It's whether the consultants get rich. That's well, that's the thing. But they, people recognize there's a whole corrupt system behind all of this, and they don't like it. I mean, who wants to have your vote determined by some uh, consultant from some other state who's really good at uh, making ads and raising money? But who, who could be excited by that process? So what are some of the policy, what are some of the substantive policies that, that might come up that, that people are talking about that could get more time and attention with ranked choice voting? And, and how does that work? How does ranked choice voting help us uh, maybe, you know, feature the issues that we care about? can think of one example um, how much money should we spend on defense every year and ranked choice voting could actually be used in that you could have you know all kinds of options you could have 10 options instead of you know the current options there, there are two options now keep it the same or increase it and, and decrease the defense budget is off the table. You've got it wrong. There are two options. Increase the defense budget or right. increase the defense budget. Those are the two options. Increase it more. 
Right. Yeah, it's increase it, it or increase it, it a little. Okay. All right, fine. We agree that there's. You so can you vote have, for any you can candidate. Have 10 you options. You yeah, can have, you know, right. in, uh, keep it the right. same, increase it by 10%, 20%, 30%, decrease it by 10, 20, 30, 40. And that would be perfect for ranked choice, choice vote. I think a lot of the issues we already talk about in our elections, I don't know that when ranked choice voting would necessarily. I don't know that it would necessarily change the dialogue or the topic of dialogue, but it changes the type of discussion we have. So I mentioned nuance when, when no, we introduce, no, can't have, this is that word's just going to keep coming back. You can't have nuance. <laughs> That's not allowed. You're I either good or bad, black <laughs> or white. Sorry. So, sorry. so giving, giving people options, I think is, yeah. is really what it's about. It's just saying like, Hey, um, when, when, so, so say you have a, this is just a hypothetical example, but say you have three candidates running for office, two of them are perhaps more similar, more like-minded than, than the third. So those two individuals who are, are like-minded, let's call them candidate A and B, and then candidate C is the one who's like totally opposite end of the spectrum. They're going to end up splitting votes amongst those two, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, in, in their best interest, it's either one of them pulls out and the other one moves on to the general election. That's how our primaries usually work. Or one has to take a much more extreme stance in opposition to candidate C, right? Hmm. They're, they're both really running against candidate C. Hmm. Um, and so you, you end up driving the dialogue to the more polar extremes. It's not about the nuance between candidate A and candidate B. It's not about exploring hmm. Hmm. the difference between those two. As a voter, I'm worried about candidate C. Right. I don't want candidate C to win. And so I'm not worried about the nuances between candidate A and B. I'm just mm -hmm. going to say, okay, candidate A, I think has a much better chance than candidate B. So I'm going to vote for candidate A. Yeah. And, and, and then candidate A is the one who like was presenting them as the polar opposite of candidate C. I don't know if you follow that, that yeah. argument, well, but- Candidate but, A might've been the one they liked the best, but they have, no, they have no chance, they have no money. So they're gonna vote for, they're gonna And And we have no way to know beyond, like with the way that we vote today, we have no way to know how people would have voted mm. in ranked choice voting. I think there's a lot of assumptions about that. Mm. Um, again, going back to the 2019 gubernatorial election, um, Matt Bevan just narrowly lost mm -hmm. this year, right? They were, the difference was like on the order of a thousand, uh, like 5,000 votes. And I think it was like point, like half a percent of the votes cast. But then you look at the third party candidate, John Hicks, who ran, he, he, the number of, he got 2%, which is over five times the difference between, mm. the, between Bevan and Bashir. Right. And, and so you look at that and a lot of people make assumptions about who the libertarian vote would have gone to if, if John Hicks hadn't run. Um, the, the, the state Senate president, Robert Stivers actually blamed John Hicks for Bevan's loss. And, and I don't know that's necessarily true. Um, you know, John Hicks, I think a lot of people equate libertarians to Republicans um, wrongly. Like, uh, and for example, John Hicks was pro-legalization. And that's something that I think a lot of conservatives have uh, a tendency to be against. I, I'm not saying all of them, but um, I, but the, the point here is that we don't really know where those votes would go, would have gone. 
And so ranked choice voting not, not only changes things in the immediate future, but changes people's perceptions of when they go to the ballot box for future elections. And, and we can better learn, okay, these folks who voted for John Hicks for the libertarian candidate, maybe they're divided. Maybe they're more left-leaning. Maybe they're more right-leaning. But again, <clears throat> it brings a better understanding and nuance to, to understanding what voters are thinking and what they believe. Let's go to the uh, like the Democratic primary, Democratic presidential primary, twenty twenty. Um, you know, some like Bernie Sanders said that it it's not uh, it's not politics. It's like theater. It's uh, like I don't know. Uh, but it, okay, what struck me is like explain your stance on health care in thirty seconds. You know. Plus the, uh, the, the, the media people who are asking the questions, they get a chance to frame the questions their way. It's just this big, huge theater. It has little or nothing to do with an actual informing the voters or deliberation over the issues. So how would that tend to change with ranked choice voting? Mm -hmm. One thing that comes to mind for me, see if this is right, is that there would be a whole lot more back channels, you know, social media, places like that. There would be actual meaningful discussion. People would be transferring meaningful amounts of information about what the candidates are about instead of this kind of nervous lesser of two evils, uh, you're going to split the vote, you're going to sabotage the election. But it, it seems to me it would, we would do an end run around the major media and the, 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 the kind of the lock they have on the whole conversation. I think the uh, dynamic uh, of eliminating voters, I mean, I'm sorry, eliminating candidates would not have occurred until the primary itself. The entire primary season is customarily devoted to eliminating all, all but one. And so the, the dynamics would be tremendously different. You'd, you'd, have, you'd have all these candidates who would remain in the race up until the primary election day. And if they're all in the race, they're all going to have a chance, hopefully, to, to get their platform out there. But once you drop out, your platform is erased from history, never heard from again. So, so it could dramatically increase the amount of knowledge uh, citizens have about all of these candidates. They could start thinking in terms of, well, all right, so... So about a primary election day, there's still 10 candidates here. I need to know at least a little bit about all 10 of them. Maybe I really like one that, that hasn't bought too many ads yet. And uh, so they'll be interested in the platform, interested in the issues instead of, well, if, is that person gonna be eliminated? It, it, it just uh, almost makes politics meaningless. When, when the only question is who's gonna drop out next. I, I also think there's a level of obscurity that happens um, 
in, in terms of understanding where a candidate truly stands on an issue. So you go to a primary and- Well, we know Tulsi Gabbard is an Assad apologist. That's, that's one thing we do know Toady, for sure. Toady. Yeah, Toady. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, Ken. It, it, it's, I don't it's know okay. what that word means. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh, uh, so, so like, let's just, you know, we can, we were talking about, you know, Bernie Sanders, for example, like it, when it comes to the democratic primary for that election, the, the primaries are nasty and you get democratic candidates who are fighting against each other tooth and nail, calling each other out, telling each mm -hmm. other what they're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. Then as soon as the nominee is identified, it's all buddy, buddy. And then the stance changes, right? Like, you know, Bernie is considered far left or farther left. And in order to appeal to the people who had voted for Bernie, now, you know, Warren's got to change her, her tune, her, her, her tune a little bit to appeal to that, to the, that constituency a little bit. So like understanding where she truly stands gets obscured because of how she has to campaign and that, that negative attitude towards your people who should be your friends and, and mm -hmm. allies is, is really confusing to me. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And it, it just hides where people really stand on the issues. Right. Well, what are some, some of the ways in which uh, like you have, for lack of a, a better way of putting it, you have like progressives who are kind of the anti-establishment part of the left and you have libertarians that are the anti-establishment part of the right. And what are some of the ways, what are some of the issues in which progressives and libertarians might, you know, see eye to eye on and, you know, find common ground on? And is that, is that part of ranked choice voting? Is that one of the benefits of finding those, you know, reaching across the aisle in a way that's for the majority instead of reaching across the aisle in a way that's only for the 1% and, you know, screw the people, that kind of thing. I think ranked choice voting is like one of the core issues that both parties can agree upon. Um, we might have some, even here, we might have some disagreements about who opposes it and who agrees with it, but I, it, we've already seen support from both sides. In fact, here in Kentucky, Senator Meredith uh, in the last legislative session introduced a bill uh, proposing to use ranked choice voting for a number of state level offices. And, and uh, we've gotten support from some individuals uh, and some representatives on both sides of the aisle. So I think ranked choice voting is like, I, I think both parties are seeing how the way we vote today is creating a level of division that that's irreparable unless we systematically change something. And, and this is something that they both can agree upon. I was a little bit surprised. Ranked choice voting allows people to look at the issues at all. Right now, they only look at personalities, individuals, and party. Mm -hmm. And they don't care about issues. I mean, it, that's not right. They, people care about issues, but they can't talk about them. They can't engage with a candidate on any issue because it's 
it's all about narrowing it down. Um, right. All right. So the average person might be liberal on eight issues and conservative on 15 and middle of the road on two, right? And uh, ranked choice voting would allow a person to say, well, this Republican, I agree with on, uh, you know, 20 of these issues. Uh, but, and this Democrat, I agree with on 15 of the issues, but you know, this, these five are more important than the other. You know, people can start thinking about issues. Right now, you can't even do it. You can't, you can't run a campaign that's issue-based because people are gonna look at your party label and assume that you are one way or the other simply based on that one letter after your name. R&D. Yeah. Ranked choice voting also um, reflects how we make decisions in real life. So, okay. you know, when you go to the store, like let's, the example I like to use is you go to the ice cream shop, right? And you go to Ben and Jerry's and they have hundreds of flavors, um, which we don't have that many options in our elections. So that's, that's point A, but you don't, you don't usually go in there and say, okay, I want chocolate. Oh, you're out of chocolate. I'm going to leave. Like, <laughs> like people love ice cream, right? Well, maybe you're lactose intolerant, but, but, but usually like you go in there and, and if they say, oh, we don't have that flavor, you got a second choice and maybe you even got a third and fourth choice. Sure. And, and so like, it's not that hard to understand that you should already be looking at candidates in an election in that manner. In fact, I think a lot of us do. We just don't have the option of expressing that level of nuance. I keep using that word, sorry, but that- No! That... <laughs> you're going you're gonna to bleep me out every time I say that word. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> New up. Yep. It's a bad but word. I, it's, just, it's just, you know, we already, in our everyday lives, we're prioritizing the options that are available to mm. us. Mm -hmm. and, and so why don't we have that ability when we go to the ballot box? That's why, to me, ranked choice voting is such a common sense improvement. You have two choices, chocolate or vanilla. But I like Rocky Road. No, two choices, chocolate <laughs> you, you, you or get vanilla. Rum raisin. You get rum yeah. raisin for even no! saying that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's punishment. So, so let me run this by you. So th this whole conversation reminds me of Matt Taibbi is a good journalist you might be familiar with. And he wrote a book called Hate Incorporated. And the idea is that, uh, you know, the, the, the cable channels and the news sources, they align with one party or the other. And each party is a tribe. And you have the and, and so he as part of that book, he describing the tribalism that the commercial media uh, tends to cultivate. Here are the 10 rules of hate. See if this reflects what we have, Democrats and Republicans. So put yourself in one place or the other, but the 10 rules of hate. Number one, there are only two ideas. In other words, only two parties. Number two, the two ideas are in permanent conflict. Number three, hate people, not institutions. Number four, everything is someone else's fault. 
Number five, nothing is everyone's fault. Think of the military industrial complex or the banks. There, there, there's some really good you know, like journalism that has been done like on banks and you can't, they can't get anywhere because you can't blame it on Democrats or you can't blame it on Republicans because it's everybody's fault. But you know, number five, nothing is everyone's fault. Number six, root, don't think. So you root for your team. You're not going to think, you're going to root for your team. Number seven, no switching teams. Can't do that unless you... Well, there was some switching team, like neocons went from Republican to Democrat, but that's a whole other conversation. They, they um, weren't an actual team. They yeah. Were, they, they, they were, they were a, a special interest. Right, right. So um, number eight, the other side is literally Hitler. So, so think of, you know, hating Trump or hating George W. Bush, and then think of the Republicans that hate Hillary Clinton or, or whoever. The other side is literally Hitler. Um, and number nine, in the fight against Hitler, everything is permitted. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and number any 10. dirty trick is, no, no, is not only allowable, but encouraged. Encouraged, right. Number 10, feel superior. I love the feel superior part because, <laughs> you know, news is not information. It's a consumer product and they're selling you feelings of superiority. So if you're a Republican, you're superior to Democrats. If you're a Democrat, you're superior to Republicans. They're selling you that feeling of superiority. All right. So those 10 rules are obviously what run our political campaigns and have for many years. And they, they have become the way we do things in this country. And you can see why they lead to horrible results. You can see why they lead to, um, what is it? The ratchet effect where the lesser of two evils, you're constantly oh getting worse. Uh, those rules do not allow, I mean, none of those rules had anything to do with an issue, right? Right. They all exactly. had to do with, exactly. with, be, uh, with tribalism. They, they, let, a, they a, lead to the elimination of issues from the debate. There's, there's a level of stagnancy that happens yeah. Yeah. because of this political pendulum that we have, yeah. right? So whoever's in office, they, they try to do something. Then, then power changes hands. The people who are now in office are trying to tear down who, whatever the folks before them tried to accomplish Mm -hmm. in the name of their team uh, their team right that was that was the that was, so. the, that was they were complete saying, idiots yeah. that was a terrible decision we need to fix it yeah so and then we just example, go back and forth for example uh republicans say obama is a socialist you know if only <laughs> the republicans saying obama is a socialist and trying to get rid of obamacare mm -hmm. because it's identified with obama even though Obamacare was a Republican health care plan that was mm -hmm. developed with inside the Heritage Institute, a conservative think tank, but it's bad because it was Obama or they're trying to eliminate the Iran deal. Um, but what, what, what's that, um, the name of that? Like there's some, some initials that go along with the Iran deal. Yeah, I forget but, um, what that is. Yeah. Anyway, so the Iran deal. Nuclear deal, just call yeah, it. Right. Uh, the Iran deal is bad because it was an Obama thing and for no other reason. Yeah, so, so an issue uh, can, can be good and then a year later it can be evil. 
the same the same position, the same issue. It's it's ridiculous, and and it comes from implementing these ten rules of hate. Well, what's wrong with hate? <laughs> I'm kidding. We've got one or two minutes left. Uh, uh, any parting words of wisdom from our panel, Ken Carpenter or Jeff Young? Ken Carpenter of Rank the Vote, Kentucky, Jeff Young, candidate for Congress, 6th District, 2022. Words of wisdom. And if you want to tell us how we can get in touch with you online. You want to go first, Jeff? Um, fine. Yeah, I, uh, I have my campaign site i need to update it some but look for look for my positions on issues and a little bit about me uh, uh at youngforkentucky.com y-o-u-n-g and then just the number four four k-y k-y young number four k-y.com okay Right. And, and my general statement here is uh, something has to change or this country is going to disintegrate, collapse, hit a civil war, start a war against some other country that we'll lose. Sounds like fun. And there will be no more republic if things don't change. And, and I think ranked choice voting can be one of the building blocks that helps things change for the better. I, I agree. I, I mean, I'm all misty. I'm not supposed to take a position, but Ken. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, first first of all, I'll go ahead and, and do the promo part. Um, I, I, anybody who's interested in ranked choice voting, or at least just wants to learn more, I, I plead them to go to rankthevoteky.org. Again, that's rankthevoteky.org. Um, or if you're on social media, hit us up on Facebook. So uh, facebook.com uh, slash RTVKY, just the, the initials of our organization. Um, we host a, a monthly meeting on Zoom. Uh, usually it's the first Thursday of every month, but I think for, for July, we're pushing out a week. Um, and so that's kind of our town hall meeting where we introduce everybody to ranked choice voting and um, explain what our organization does. So, so there's that. Um, I guess parting words for me, like a, a, a phrase that always sticks out in my mind is we shape our rules and our rules shape us. Um, so that's really what ranked choice voting is about is, is, you know, the, the institutions and policies we put in place end up, we, we put them in place to make things happen, but then they have their own effect on who we are on our culture, on our beliefs and, and how we behave. And ranked choice voting is, it, it seems like a very simple change, but it can lead to drastically disproportionate improvements in our elections. So really it's about changing, just, just making a small tweak really to, to a systematic institutional thing that leads to much bigger, kind of like the butterfly effect, right? It leads to much greater things later on. That's a great hopeful note to end on. Thank you, Ken Carpenter of Rank the Vote Kentucky and Jeffrey Young, candidate for U.S. Congress, 6th District of Kentucky in 2022. I'm Hart Hagen, and I uh, hope you all have a great day. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Ken. Hart. Thank you, Hart. <laughs>